Good evening, my name is Sheila. I'm an alcoholic. Um, uh, I've been sober since December 15th of 84. Um, and uh, uh, my sponsor's Peg, and I uh, go to meetings at the Phoenix Group in Norman, Oklahoma. And I think those are real. Yay! And, uh, and I think those are um, very important things for my sobriety. Gosh, I wish I could see y'all. Try and find my friends. <sighs> Wave at me. Um, I want to thank Stan, wherever you are, and uh, and the committee for uh, for asking me to be here. This is uh, uh, absolutely an honor and a privilege. And thank you for the basket and the goodies. Um, you know, I know uh, because I'm on committees of conferences and New Year's Eve celebrations and things that we do at our group. And I know what work goes into this, and I know how hard it is, and I know that um, it's nerve-wracking and exciting. And, you know, when it all finally comes together Friday night, then everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. And, um, you know, I just really appreciate all your work and your dedication, and thank you for allowing me to be here. And uh, I got to bring uh, my 10-year-old with me. And, you know, he doesn't really get to ever come with me when I go. And um, so I want to thank you all. That was, um, he is, he's having a blast. Uh, I'm a, I'm a nervous wreck. He's been in all these arcades. My head's banging. It's just crazy. He's, we, you know, he just, he's, he's on, he's on go. He's been on go since birth. Uh, he just goes. <laughs> That's it. He just, and he, you know, I don't know if he'll ever calm down, but it'll be all right. I give him coffee every once in a while. It seems to calm down a little bit. Um, I want to thank, uh, Julie for picking me up. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, there's so many people here tonight um, that are dear to my heart um, it, that I've known since I was 10 years old. And uh, uh, the speaker this morning, Tom, uh, Tom got sober in the same group at the same year as my dad. And uh, they had the same sponsor until my father passed away. And, and uh, when Tom talked this morning, you know, uh, he talked about going to meetings on Ohio, in Ohio Street, Ohio Street, and you know, I was just—I go down memory lane with them. I mean, I was a kid, and I was, you know, I was in a foster home at that time, and um, I didn't really know what AA was, but I knew that for some reason my dad was being—it was seeming different, and I knew that he—he he seemed safe. I mean, he wasn't in jail; that was good, and um, you know, and it was uh, um, a jeet. I, I was out at the arcade, so I didn't get to. Um, uh, hear his talk this morning, this afternoon. But he's one of my most favorite male Al-Anon speakers. He just, he just, you're so sick, Ajit. I just love you. And uh, you're. <laughs> I listened to that story and I thought, gosh, I'm. Oh my gosh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know how Al-Anons do the, all that taking care of and 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 don't drink. Uh, it, it just has always baffled me, you know. Uh, now, I, I, I waited on, oh, Lord, I love hymns, booze and boys. I mean, it's kind of like soup and salad, you know. It kind of goes together. Oh, boy. And I've waited for him for a while, and then I start to drinking and thinking, and, I, you know, I'll just go find a new one. And you all hang in there sober. No wonder you're insane. It's bless your hearts. I'm so sorry we did this to you. But you picked us, so I'm not that sorry. So... I hadn't heard Carl until last night, and he was just, you're just awesome, and I just, if you didn't hear him get the tape, I mean, it was just, he was so good, and, and Mildred is, um, she'll be our speaker tomorrow morning, and, um, and she touched my heart many times, and she's just such a lady in Alcoholics Anonymous and ahead of me on the path, and uh, she told a story about God the day I heard her speak, and I uh, hope she tells it tomorrow, I'm not going to tell it, but and I've repeated that story and, and given her the credit, really, and um, repeated it many times to to uh, women that I've sponsored that that um, can't can't feel God for a moment. And uh, and you know I've had so many gifts from the people that have gone before me, and like Louise, I mean I'm so grateful and I'm humbled to be amongst you because what you have done is um, you you stayed late to meetings and. Uh, and you and you were in AA long before I got here, and um, and you didn't leave, you know. And uh, I'm so grateful to the people, the men and women that have gone before us, because they kept AA pure, so that goofy people like me could come in and, and get the deal. And you know, aren't, I just sometimes I get so overwhelmed with that. It's it's um, 
how do you say thank you? And my sponsor says, pass it on. That's how you say thank you. And that's what we try to do here. I'm going to tell you in a general way what, what I was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And, <coughs> and I was born in Oklahoma. I had two normal alcoholic parents. You know, they just, they were normal. They did normal things. They were divorced before I remembered they were married. And uh, I was like two and my brother was one or two and three, one of them. I can't remember exactly. And my brother's 13 months younger than I am. And um, uh, my dad moved to California and my mom, you know, she took care of us the best she could. And unfortunately, my mother had the disease of alcoholism. The reason I say that is because she died of it. Um, she uh, she was uh, to me I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world uh, she would walk in my class when I was in kindergarten and I would be so proud of her I thought she was so beautiful and she was a nurse and she was a surgical nurse and she they had the cap and the and the white beautiful dress and the white shoes and and uh, she'd have in the wintertime she'd have a blue cape and I just thought she looked like something out of a book you know and I just I was proud of her I, she was my mom you know and uh, unfortunately my mother she she drank and went places I mean that's just basically what she I loved first time I heard that I, I really identify with that and and uh, she would take us out to grandma's and and uh, we'd have Sunday dinner and which is really lunch if you're from the west and uh, and uh, we'd have Sunday dinner and, and we'd have to go take a nap and she'd she'd go away and she'd leave and sometimes it was only for a couple of days and sometimes it was for months at a time and uh, my mother was reported missing many times and she would be out you know running and gunning and going and uh, you know I don't think she ever set out to do that and that's just that's where you know when she drank that's what happened she she was a real alcoholic and one time one of these trips she was gone the social workers came and the welfare people and they told my grandmother she was too old to watch kids and to keep us and and they put us in a foster home and and uh, that would be the first of many, many foster homes for my brother and I. And, and that's alcoholism. And today, because of this wonderful program and the magnificent steps and, and people who took time out of their lives to leave their families, get on planes, go to places that they didn't know, like Norman, Oklahoma, that I got to hear the message of Alcoholics Anonymous and I got to hear the, the message of forgiveness because someone decided to get out of themselves and, and inconvenience themselves and go to these places and, and, and tell their story, and I identified. And, and I've had so much healing in that because of that. My, uh, <clears throat> my mother, um, you know, she did the best she could, and, uh, and I don't just say that with my head, I say it with my heart, because um, my mom was a really nice lady. She was a, a really a neat lady, and um, she would get up in the middle of the night and... Um, and take care of kids, you know, that were real sick because she was a nurse. People call her and say, oh, Johnny's got a thousand degree temperature and she'd run down there and go take care of him. And, you know, she did this kind of stuff on Christmas. We used to go <clears throat> to, the, to the retirement homes because she wanted to make sure that everyone that was taken care of and then we'd go visit people that she knew that she had been a nurse at some of these that didn't have anybody come visit them <clears throat> and she would go to those. You know, so she wasn't a bad person, and, you know, she just had a disease that she couldn't or wouldn't do anything about, and uh, she went to AA some, <clears throat> she did go to AA um, several times, she tried it, tried to go to AA, and it, and it just never seemed to work for her, and uh, and that's, that's her story, and so, um, my, while we were in one of these foster homes, my dad came, he got word in California that we were in a foster home, and so he, um, uh, he came to this foster home, and, he, and the foster mother said, well, your dad's, you know, going to get custody of you. And my mom just didn't show up for, for court. And uh, back then it wasn't, real, um, it wasn't real common for men to get custody of their children. And, uh, and so he comes through the door of this foster home, and he's got a Thumbelina doll in one hand and a, and a mitt in the other, you know, and he goes, hi, I'm dad. And I didn't like him from the get-go. He just, he just was too big. He was big and he had a big voice and my brother cried. I mean, my brother had never had a dad. He was so excited. And I thought, yeah, bet me. I don't want him. And uh, I didn't. <laughs> you know, I was a mama's girl, I guess, or something, but he wasn't mom and I, boy, I punished him for a long time over that. And uh, we didn't get along from the get-go and he tried and he had married a nice Mexican lady, and we flew on, on a plane, and we came to California, and that's where he lived, and, and 350,000 relatives picked us up at the airport, and they were hugging and kissing and pinching, and, and you know, and I thought, this is neat. You know, I liked them. They were, they were neat, and so we went over to um, 
who would soon be my godfather and godmother's house. We went over there, and, and we had fiesta. I mean, we had, you know, tamales, and they drank and fought and loved and hugged and cried and danced and fought, and I loved them all. I thought they were wonderful. I thought, this might work out. This might work out. And so we, we lived there until my... Um, until um, the disease of alcoholism seemed to erupt again. And uh, my dad, uh, I got up one morning and, uh, you know, um, and this lady who I grew to love, my stepmother, was gone. And uh, I wouldn't see her again until I was 18 years old. And, and when I left Oklahoma, I, my brother and I would not, I did not see my, my real mother again until I was 19 years old. You know, and that's alcoholism. And so um, we went to live uh, yet with another family, my aunt and uncle in Arizona, and then my dad. What happened to him when I was living there? <clears throat> he, uh, I was uh, when we were ten years old. My father joined Alcoholics Anonymous, and it would change my life forever. And uh, I didn't know that at the time, but it would. And we came to um, back to California, and he had gotten a sponsor, and they had to make some decisions concerning us because we couldn't stay with aunt and uncle forever, and we had to go into a foster home and, uh, and get another foster home, and. And I remember thinking, yeah, here we go again. And, uh, you know, but it, it, this, we went to this foster home, and it was a black foster home. And uh, Maya and the, the people were there, and, and we were her first foster children, my foster mom and father. And, um, and we were supposed to stay there two weeks until, I guess, a white foster home opened up. And, uh, you know, the, the two weeks came and went, and three weeks, and we stayed there. And, um, and we ended up living there three and a half years, and it was... Uh, it was the most uh, wonderful years, really, of, of my life. I mean, it was a really stable time, and um, my foster mother had this beautiful room all decorated. It was like a girl room, and I hadn't really ever had a girl room like that. And, uh, and you know, she loved us. More kids came to the home. We had tons of kids, and she liked kids. And she had a son, and... and uh, we would, um, there was Hilda came, she was a Mexican girl, she was just beautiful, and, uh, and then we had little Myron, he was a Sioux Indian, and, and my brother and I, and her son, and we'd all sit around the table and like have lunch, because I always get a visual, and it was kind of like a meeting of the Junior United Nations, you know, and, uh, and, and we didn't even, you know, I didn't even know I, I was white. You know, we didn't know we were different color. We really didn't. I mean, I remember coming home and I said, this boy at school called me a white honky. I said, what is that? And she said, that's ignorance. And I said, okay. And um, I said, my night come home and we called her mama. And I said, mama, what, what's, a, what's a honky? And she said, oh, well, you know, what's a cracker? She go, oh, go. you know, she just said, just ignore those kids. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, we had, um, you know, and. And I said, and I said, you know, we laughed about it. We didn't even know we were a different color, you know. And, and, and life was really good inside the home. It was just wonderful. And, uh, and I loved her, and we lived there. And my dad got sober, and he met a nice lady in AA. And they got married, and she had two kids, and he had two kids. And they got this family together. And it wasn't the Brady Bunch, I'll tell you that. And I saw that Brady Bunch, and I knew what they should act like. And this was nothing like it. And... Um, she, um, I wanted this warm, affectionate, sweet mother, and, and she was all right. I mean, she wasn't warm and affectionate. She was trying to get sober. I mean, I wasn't warm and affectionate for, I don't even know if I am warm and affectionate yet, you know. And she was newly sober, and she had a son who had cystic fibrosis, and he was a little boy. He's just the sweetest thing in the whole world. He was really a sweet baby, and, and he had um, CF, cystic fibrosis, and he was terminal, and it was her second child to have CF. And, and she was going to have to, you know, she had to take care of him. He had treatments and things. And she was very busy with this child. And I was so needy, needy, needy. You know, I needed someone to, you know, a mother or something in my life. And, <clears throat> and my dad was just, you know, he, he and Tom were trying to, you know, get sober together. And they were, you know, dad was starting a plumbing business. And he was, he was becoming a plumber. And, you know, as an adult today, I can see those things and appreciate those things. And back then, I was just, I just thought nobody loved me. You know, I just felt unloved. And what was wrong with me? And, and I just felt, you know, different. And, uh... And my brother, you know, he just would be, he was so quiet. He just kind of just was quiet and out of the way, you know. He didn't really do much. He, you know, we, we were, and my dad used to say when he talked that we were just, we were goofy. And I thought, well, yeah, we were goofy, you know. And, uh, and he, we used to laugh about that. And um, they got divorced. That didn't last long. So we went down the street to live with her sister. That was right. Okay. And so, uh, you know, and, you know, I, it was just the way it was. You know, we'd, friends of mine would, um, like take me home from, you know, drill team practice or cheerleading practice or something. When my dad be outside, he'd water, you know, and I'd wave at him. They go, who's that? I go, that's my dad. And they go, your dad? Your dad lives down the street from you? And I go, yeah, doesn't yours? 
You know, because it's like the, the abnormal becomes normal. I mean, that, you know, Carl talked about it last night. That is, it's like, that's normal to me. And I, we got along so much better when he lived down the street, you know. Um, my aunt used to make me go and clean his house one, once a week, you know, and, uh, and um, she said it'll build character, and it built a resentment is what it did. Um, uh, I, uh, I, you know, I haven't had it my drunk yet. I haven't, I, I, I'm, God, I feel like I was real old having a drink. My first drunk was when I was 15. I had drinks. I'd probably had drinks since I was, you know, little. I used to drink my mother's Jim Beam, you know. I remember that, but I don't remember. My first drunk was, I was 15 years old, and my aunt decided she was going to, I got asked to the prom, you know, and her daughters got asked to the prom, and they were all kind of relieved that I was going to have a date. And, um, and they said, yeah, he said, this is my date. He said, you don't have a date, and I don't have a date. You want to go to the prom? And I'm like, yeah, how romantic. And um, so she said, I'm going to get you a dress. And she, like, she had four children of her own. She was a single mother, and her mother lived with us. And so she took two more kids, and so there are six of us, and five were teenagers. I can't even imagine. And she was a kind, good, either she, I always say, Aunt Jo, you're either insane or you're, just, you're, an, you're an angel, which you are. And, and uh, so she took me <clears throat> to go get the dress. You know, she wants it to be all just special for me. She wanted it to, uh, just a special time. And, and so I, I kind of picked this low-cut kind of, you know, yellow kind of slender thing and and um, she 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 picks out this giant green dress it was the biggest dress in the whole place it had these giant green flowers on it and had an accordion neck that went up with a ruffle about right around here you know and uh, i put that thing on and i just hated myself in it and uh, she said oh you so you look so beautiful and you know i'm kind of in trouble now i'm not really you know i'm not really uh I, I'm not really in a lot of trouble, but I'm pushing the envelope. And I, I know that, you know, I'm kind of a guest wherever where I've been. I've been a guest. And i got to kind of, you know, right when I think you're going to ask me to leave or, or I'm in trouble, I'll have to do something really good so you like me again. You know, I know I know how far to push somebody. And, you know, I've been kind of like smoking cigarettes and uh, getting in vans with boys. You know, you don't do that. You know, and and, and uh, I wasn't doing much. I was just, you know, sitting in vans smoking cigarettes. But it looked really bad. You go to Catholic school and... You know, the guy had, like, one guy had a bumper sticker, a sticker. it said, evil, wicked, mean, and nasty. You know, it's like, yeah, that's my guy. And uh, <laughs> that's mine. And, uh, you know, and, and she was just, you know, she was just getting concerned about me. And, and so, you know, it's time for me to do something great. So I said, okay, I'll get the dress. You know, I'll get the, the giant green dress. I'll get that. And then she said, would you go to my hairdresser? And, you know, I mean, I work in a salon today. And girls come in on purpose now and get their hair updo. You know, it's real popular. Real that you didn't do that in the no in mid to late seventies. You did not get your hair in an updo. You know, uh, you wore your hair long and straight, maybe curled at the ends on a very special occasion. My hair was way down my back, and and I said okay. And you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Her daughters were not going to her hairdresser. I don't know what I was thinking. Why would I do that? I. So this lady, you know, she puts my hair in all these curlers and sits me into the dryer for a couple of weeks, and my ears melt. Oh, it was horrible. And uh, I still have a phobia of the dryers in, uh, in our shop. I hate them being on too long. And, and uh, it's so funny because uh, the lady said, how do you want your hair? And I said, well, maybe a little up and the rest down. And, and you know, she just kept kind of piling my hair, and it kept getting bigger. And my hair came out this big. And it kind of went like a football, and it just kind of kept going, you know. And, and uh, you know, and my aunt comes in and goes, oh, your hair is so beautiful. And she has this baby's breath, and it's, it's going to complement the dress. It's white and yellow, and they're sticking this baby's breath all in my hair, you know. And, and I'm like, well, and so me and my hair go out to the car, you know, and we get in, and I go home. I put on the giant green dress, and I'm a bush in bloom, going to the prom. I can hardly wait, you know. And, and, you know, my, my date, you know, my date decides three days before the prom to bite the head off of a live frog for a $100 bet. And I thought, you know, could anything ever go right just once, you know, at just one time? So in he walks, you know, and my foster mother, my foster mother came, you know, she's taking pictures, you know, her baby's getting, her blue-eyed babies is what she used to call my brother and I. She's going to the prom and she, they're taking pictures. My dad comes from down the street, you know, and... And, you know, my dad and I had, I had this love me, love me, love me, but I did everything I could to push him away. You know, that's my relationship with my dad. And, and uh, my little cousin comes waddling in, you know, my little, the little one, and he, he goes, are you the guy that bit the head off a live frog? You are cool, you know. And, and of course, my dad's eyes kind of glaze over and roll back in his head, and it's like, what? And, the, rah, 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 and he starts doing that, and I go, well, I think we ought to go. So we get in the car, you know, he's got the wrong car, I've got the wrong dress, the wrong hair, it's all wrong, you know, and, 
And he kept saying his car was a classic, is what he said. It wasn't, it wasn't a classic. It, was it you, Carl, honey? Was it you? Anyway, he said, well, this car is, <laughs> this car is a classic. And, and I said, you know, it is now, but it wasn't then. It was just old, you know, it was just an old car. It was a Dodge Dart, and you push the, he said, watch this. You push a button, and it started. I wasn't impressed. I was very upset. He should have had his parents. You know, everybody borrowed somebody's car, and you took them to the prom. You know, your aunts or your grandmothers or something, you know, you look good. So we get in there, and he's got champagne, you know, and we're going to have champagne. And, and they're in those little glasses, you know, but the, he, he didn't even get glass. You know, they were the plastic kind, the little bottom falls off. You can never, I'm trying to look cool, you know, and the bottom was falling off and whatever. So I have a few drinks, nothing big, go to the, go to the prom. And then we go to the after parties. And the after party was, I mean, I just love the after party. And people kept coming up and they, and they kept mixing me drinks, you know, like a tequila sunrise and, and Mai Tais. And they were, you know, trying all these drinks and I kept thinking I'm not going to get drunk you know this is such a little glass this is no big deal you know because I knew about alcoholism I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous I babysat your kids you know I've heard I'm, you know they had sponsorees running into the house when they were married and oh my gosh and you know I knew about alcoholism and uh, I knew I knew about alcohol and and so I thought you know this isn't going to I'm not going to you know this isn't going to hurt me and I had 150 of those puppies and I'll tell you what happened my hair got long and straight <clears throat> Those flowers flew off my dress, and frog lips started looking really good. <laughs> yep. And you know that you can just add infinitum for the rest of my drunk. You know, my drunk log is just that. It, I love the way alcohol makes me feel. And, you know, I love the description in the big book, you know, that um, alcoholics drink essentially for the effect produced by alcohol. I love that. You know, I, I, I love the way it makes me feel. And it changes my perception. And Clancy talks about the disease of perception. And it was because nothing had really, really changed. Really, nothing had changed. But when I drank that, everything changed for me. And, I, you know, I loved what um, I think it was Carl said. I didn't know I couldn't breathe. You know, I didn't know I'd never taken a deep breath. And, and I didn't hurt anymore. And I didn't care if I lived in foster homes. And I didn't care that I hadn't seen my mother since I was seven years old. And it took away what Johnny Harris says, the big hurt. It took away the, all that pain. And I, I, felt, I felt wonderful. And I threw up and I blacked out and passed out. And I thought, oh, my. And the next day I was so sick. And I thought, gosh, I'm not, I better not do too much of that again. I made it a little bit, but I'm not going to do it like I did then, you know. And, and I thought about it. And I thought, well, maybe that wasn't that bad, you know. And you know how you do. You know, it, you know it's just, you know, it just, and I you know, didn't become a morning drinker the next day or anything. I just partied. And it was partying. And I had lots of fun. You know, and um, not to glamorize alcoholism, but there were early times. I mean, Tom talked about this morning. I had some great times drinking. I had great times with friends, and we did things, and, you know, just it was, you know, when I was controlling and enjoying it, you know. And, and that didn't last long, I'll tell you what. That doesn't last long. And uh, I, uh, I got out of high school, you know. I, I, you know, I became a cheerleader in high school, and, and, and I was a homecoming queen. And, and uh, a man named, uh, a lady named Mrs. Lefevre, she was my... Uh, uh, she was my teacher. Her son was a baseball player years ago for the Dodgers, and he was my hero, and that was his mom. And she said to me, you really want to be a cheerleader, don't you? And I said, how do you know? And she said, because you're always watching them practice. And she said, why don't you do that? And I said, I just don't think I can. I'm not popular, and I, and I, you know, I live in a foster home, and I just don't think I can. And she said, I'll get, the, I'll get some of the girls to work with you. And she was so kind to me. It was just, you know, one of those people along the way that took an interest in them. Um, and uh, and I did, and I became a cheerleader, and and I loved doing. It. I loved school. I loved. It took me away from. It was my escape. I love books too. I'm. My foster mother used to call me a bookworm. I take three books home a weekend from school, from the library, and read, read, read. I just loved. I lived in someone else's world. That's what Tom was talking about today. I just wanted to let me get in that book. You know, that's fun in there. I'll live there for a while, and and uh, and so anyway, so. Uh, I had a pretty normal, I dated like the captain of the football team, you know, he went on to USC, played ball there, played, you know, he went on to be one of the Raiders, you know, he played for the Raiders, you know, and he dumped me, God, yeah, you know, can anything ever go right, no, you know, he, he uh, dumped me his freshman year in college, and, and I didn't go to college, and I was working, because that's what I had to do, and, you know, it was one of those things, and, uh, you know, I went to go looking for my mother, and and uh, I want, that was one of my things I wanted to do was find my mother. And um, my dad had his 10-year AA birthday, and <coughs> and I went to this AA birthday, and uh, uh, I sat there and I, I identified with the speaker. And you know, the week before that, I had come out of a blackout and I was in a field, and 
and I was just, uh, it, it was it was real bad. And uh, I didn't tell anybody about it. Of course, you know, you just keep those things to yourself. And and I went to uh, went to this meeting and heard the speaker. And and I started going to meetings at the Pacific Group. And I was 20 years old, and and I was trying to get sober. And I stayed sober for nine months. And uh, and what I can tell you is I did the things that were asked of me, but there are certain things I didn't do. It was like it says completely and absolutely in the in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wasn't absolutely or completely anything. And you know, and <clears throat> they'd say, you know, don't want it. You not mess around with guys. And oh, right, okay, sure. And um, you know, you might. Why don't you not date for a little while? I didn't didn't ignore that. And and just you know those things. I I was running around doing a lot of activity, but but not taking right action and. And stuff like that, and I didn't stay sober because the pain of being sober got so great, and the steps and Alcoholics Anonymous and the thing that happens to us here that changes me didn't happen. And I drank, and my solution was still drinking. And and I had what I call an eight-year slip, and and during that time I experienced uh, uh, many times pitiful, incomprehensible, and demoralization. And uh, I don't recommend that. I don't think anybody has to go back out. I don't think they have to unless they really want to, you know. And and uh, I, I'm glad that it happened the way it did. I'm just, and uh, um, it, it just all worked out. Like somebody said, you had to do everything you had to do to get here. And I guess I did. And um, I went and found my mother. And my mother was, uh, my mother was, um, she was 48 years old. And uh, I figured that out. I was, I don't know how many years sober I was, but I figured out how old my mother was. <clears throat> and my mother lived in a, um, she lived in a social security housing place. And the people there were a lot older. They were, you know, senior citizens. And, um, she had gotten very ill from alcoholism, and she had lost an eye from an infection of fungus in her eye, and, and she just she just had a lot of problems due to directly as a result of her alcoholism, and, and she looked real old, and she wasn't that sweet, pretty mom that I remembered, and she was she she was just really really sick, and um, and I was so I felt so hurt. It was just like that that wasn't it either, because I always thought if I had my mom, then things would have been different. If I had just gotten to be with my mom and. And it was kind of, it was really sad. And so um, I went to see her, and when I left, it was like I still had that void, still that void inside me, that hole where the wind blows through. And I, and that wasn't it either. And um, I, uh, I was just, you know, kind of reckless abandon at that point. And I, I, I got my manicuring license. I was a cocktail waitress, and uh, you know, I just did that. And I moved to the beach, and I loved the beach, and I, you know, slept all day in the sand and played volleyball and. And went to work at night and worked at some of the great restaurants down there and and uh, and just life was it was good and uh, and it, and then things started happening. I met this him and I thought you know maybe I ought to settle down. God, that's such a dumb thing to do when you're drunk, you know. <laughs> you know, people say when are you going to settle down? So I met this guy and he owned a bar and I thought yeah. <laughs> and I thought free beer and pool the rest of my life. I do, and I did and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was like, whoa, and so uh, we got married, it lasted six entire months, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, my dad, you know, one more time, I disappointed him, and, uh, and you know, I, I have to, how I leave or how I do something is get mad at it or get mad at you, and then it's your fault, and it's just a real sick thing, and and we got in a fight about it, and it was just like, we, he didn't even know where I was for many, many months at a time, and uh, um, left that guy, and, and I just, you know, just did my thing, and... Um, I met another him, you know, I met him at a bar. I mean, you know, I don't know how anybody else, how do you meet anybody else, you know? That's what I, people say, why don't you meet someone at church? And I thought, right, you know. I just, I, it just didn't, it was inconceivable to me because I love to drink. I love the life and the people and the nightlife, and I liked all that. And uh, and so I met this guy, and I was, uh, I went up and I said, uh, would you, I said, hey, you want to, I was drunk, you know, I always could like, you know, go up. I hear men say that, you know, they, they weren't afraid of women anymore. I wasn't afraid of you when I was drinking either, and I'd knock you in the head too, you know. I wasn't afraid at all. I wasn't. I was violent when I was drinking. I was a crazy woman. And, um, and so, uh, um, so I, I went up and I said, hey, would you like, he, I said, hey, lover boy, you want to dance? He goes, no. And I thought, got to have him. Got to have him. And he's the one. Got to have him. And I did, you know. I, you know, uh, Later on in the evening, he came over and pursued me and we went outside and I was, I was so drunk and I, and I was sitting on his car and I just fell over face first right on the ground and he picked me up and, you know, and, uh, and we spent the next two weeks together and that's how I date. That's how I date, you know, and I, uh, I had to learn a lot of things when I got here, you know, and so, uh, um, 
you know, I, I got pregnant and he didn't want to be. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, when I was eight months pregnant, he left. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, luckily for the steps and I did an inventory I, when I was sober. When I got sober, I did an inventory on, on that deal. And, you know, and he didn't want a family. He didn't want to get a job. He did not want the responsibility. He didn't want to be a father. And I placed him in a position where he didn't have a choice. And, and I was so wrong in that. And, uh, you know, and I could forgive him for that. That was a, a big pain that I brought into Alcoholics Anonymous with me, a, a big, one of the big hurts I brought in. And, and today, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel compassion for him. I feel sorry for him because um, I had a baby boy and, uh, and he has missed uh, a wonderful child. And he, he never, he doesn't know him. My son is, does not know his father. He, would, he wouldn't know him and, um, <clears throat> if he saw him. And, uh, and you know, he's, um, I wish him well, and I have no ill feelings for him. I just, um, you know, I, I looked at my part, and that's what you all have taught me to do, is to look at my part and put myself in their place. And, and so I had this baby boy, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm going to learn how to bake cookies. He didn't even have teeth, but I was going to learn to bake cookies. And I was going to do, I was going to be the best mom ever. And, uh, and, you know, he fixed me for about two weeks, you know, and I'm out at the bars again and I'm doing the things that I do. And, and I met this guy, you know, of course you got to meet a guy. I always got to meet a guy. And I met a guy and uh, I met this, and he was a Marine. And I thought, God, they take care of the whole country. Surely you could help me, you know. <laughs> the few and the proud, you know, hey, baby. And, um. You know, I have to, I hate to say it, but I was a little bit too much for the Marines, you know, and uh, I about drove him crazy, you know, and uh, he, he said, you got to go, honey, oh, geez, you know, I'd rather go to 21 Palms and fight with you, you know, and <laughs> that's an insult, you know, so, uh, you know, and so he, he ran off, he went back to his ex-girlfriend or something and married her or whatever, I don't know, something happened, maybe she was a whack or a wave, that's when they had those back then, and. And so, uh, you know, just not quite going to plan. And, uh, and I moved in with this girl, and she let me sleep on the floor. And, uh, I, and this is the beginning of the end of my, of my last deal. And, and uh, I lived in Oceanside, and I was, wasn't at nice restaurants anymore that had nice cocktail waitresses, nice outfits, nice place. I wasn't, wasn't there anymore. I'm in bowling alleys, you know, and uh, the Marines, the, the hardcore Marines come into these places and, they, you know, they like eat glass, you know, and it, oh, Jesus. And they, there's stuff all over the floor and people call it, some people think it's like that sawdust. Yeah, right. And uh, when the lights are on, it's not sawdust. I thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing nails. I was a manicurist and I do nails during the day. And this girl had to sleep on the floor at her house and, uh, and what I would do is stay out all night and drink and drug all night long. And, uh, and uh, yes, uh, drugs are in there, too. And, you know, I'm a, I know I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic who does, who does drugs. And, um, and so uh, uh, I was doing all this stuff, and I'm coming in. And what I would do is I would plan my time that I would sneak in. I would come in around 5 o'clock in the morning where I should have been home by 1. And um, I would lay down for a little bit with my son, and, and uh, he was 18 months old, and and then I would, we, when the house started waking up, I'd pretend that I'd been in all night, you know. And she caught me coming in one morning, and she said to me, if it weren't for your son, I wouldn't let you live here. She said, I don't know what you're doing, but she said, you look terrible. You have sores all over your legs. And one of your eyes is so dilated right now, she, she said, and the other one isn't. And she said, there's something going on, and you're really sick, and you're, you need some help. And uh, I will always be grateful for that lady to do that because that day it was just I heard that and uh, I called my dad. Now I don't know a lot of people think you know you know I didn't owe my dad a lot of financial amends because I didn't call him a lot for money because I didn't want him to know what was going on. He might throw a big book at me or something. You know I got to keep that stuff under you know keep it down and and so I called him and uh, he wasn't home but his wife was. He had remarried this nice lady and uh, um, he had married this nice lady and and uh, in Al-Anon and. Uh, she answered the phone, and um, I said, "Well, I just thought I'd let you know that um, I'm going to walk. I'm just going to put Brad in a foster home and walk the streets because I can't live like this anymore." And I didn't tell her what this was, and she didn't ask. And she said, "Well, wait a minute. Your dad's in the back room. He's doing a fist step." She said, "But as soon as he gets out, we'll call you back. Please don't do anything yet." You know, and I waited for oh, probably five minutes, and I thought, "Well, he didn't call me back." You know, <laughs> you know, you do. And I went out and got drunk. And the next day, my dad got a hold of me, and he said, you know, Sheila, maybe I, I'll, I'll give you a one-way ticket to Oklahoma. And he, he was retiring in Norman, Oklahoma, and he said, I'll give you a one-way ticket to Norman, Oklahoma, 
And he said, and maybe you could get your life together. And he didn't ask a whole lot of questions, and I was, you know, I was really glad. You know, he, he, uh, he gave me a lot of dignity in that. And uh, he said, um, and I said, well, I said, uh, okay, you know, and I started having doubts, like, my God, uh, I've lived most of my life in California. I'm in Oklahoma. You know, all I could remember was horrible when I was a kid, you know, and tornadoes, Ugh, you know. And so, uh, um, and I got on that plane, you know, and I just felt so worthless and useless and, and I, w- I had no purpose, you know. And, uh, and so we, I flew back to Oklahoma and, uh, you know, uh, his, uh, his wife, Vinoy, picked me up and uh, she picked me up with one of her, uh, two Al-Anons they sent for me, okay? Two, not one, but two. I got a two Al-Anons. You know, Dad was such a chicken, and uh, I told him that too. And uh, you know, and uh, he, I said, "Well, where's Dad?" You know, and the kind of relationship we had is that my dad, my dad couldn't. We just had a terrible relationship, and he just, I think he couldn't face me. And I don't even, I really don't blame him. Um, he was so sad at where my life had gone, and I had broke his heart so many, many times. I can't imagine not knowing where my sons are for months at a time, and I was his daughter. You know, I. Uh, I was a very terrible daughter, and I broke his heart so many times, and I think he just didn't want to see it in my face. I think he was so, I think he was so sad that he didn't, he did, he sent her, and, and I'm glad he did, because she was nice to me, and uh, they picked us up, and then, you know, they're driving, they go, oh, and that's where we all go to meetings, and I thought, oh boy, you know, oh God, and they're going to make me go to something, I know they are. <laughs> and I was right, you know, and uh, my dad, it was his Wednesday night meeting, and that's where he was, and he was... Uh, they said he washed every ashtray and cup for an hour meeting. I mean, he was just like afraid to come see us. And he had only seen um, my son Brad when he was little, when he was like six weeks old. And, and so uh, he walked in, he came in the room, and I just said, hi, how you doing? I didn't hug him or anything. I, I think the how odd today, the relationship that we had, we've had after I got sober was so wonderful. I couldn't imagine not seeing my father and hugging him. But we didn't hug or anything, and he looked at my son, and uh, and he always used to say, "I wouldn't, you know, I didn't want this. I wouldn't want him there. I was so scared of this her coming there, and she's going to bring this kid, and I'm going to care about him. Then she's going to take him away, or worse, she's going to leave him with us, and I'll have to raise him. And I'm too old." And and, and of course, the sponsor said, "You know, shut up, Jim." And I was glad. And uh, you know, sponsors come in handy for kids too. And so. Uh, and so, you know, my dad, um, and he, then he said, you know, it took, it took my son probably mm, a, five, ten minutes, and, and, and he had wrapped Grandpa, you know, he wrapped himself around his finger. And I used to just love hearing him say that because he was really a wonderful Grandpa to my boys. And uh, he was, you know, that was, that was his boys. Those were his boys. And he was a wonderful grandfather because of this program and because of people like you and because of the things he did in Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, and I started living there, and I just, you know, I'm trying to stay sober, and I'm not telling anybody I'm coming off all this stuff, and, and uh, I'm, I'm rocking myself in, in the room, and, and I'm trying to do it by myself, and I don't want anybody to know, and that's a really horrible place to be, and you're trying to take care of your child, and you're trying to act like you're okay. And, you know, I don't recommend that either, and uh, that's just what I did. And I got a, got a job, you know, and I got a job at this hideous restaurant called Po Folks, and I thought, God, I've arrived. I've so arrived here, you know. And, and the girl, you know, she's so Oklahoma. She goes, well, when you walk up to the table, you have to ask them if they want a belly washer. I go, what is that? And she goes, that's a drink. And I go, I'm not saying that. You know, I was so appalled at everything. You know, I was just such a little brat, you know. So I had a lot of culture shock when I got there. And, you know, and, of course, I, I went to Al-Anon meetings because I knew they could drink still. And so I went to Al-Anon. I wasn't going to admit anything, you know. Yeah, I did. And uh, I went to Al-Anon meetings. And, and you know, and... Um, and I'm so glad that there were people that, um, the women that weren't, you know, that, that were in the room. Because I go to an open AA meeting and the women in Alcoholics Anonymous there saw me. And they knew me. They knew I was a drunk. They didn't know for sure, but they knew me. I wasn't their competition. I was a sick woman and they knew it. And they came up and they gave me phone numbers. Because the morning that I got sober, I called one of those phone numbers. And I'll always be so grateful that they, um, they cared enough to do that. They said, please, just call me any time. And I said, well, I'm in Al-Anon. They said, yeah, that's nice. Call me. <laughs> you know, we can spot each other. And I'm so glad that they got out of themselves long enough to do that. And uh, it was incredible. And so that morning, this morning, it was December 15th. Uh, December 14th, I started drinking all night and uh, well into the morning. And, and I went into a, bl- a blackout and... Uh, 
I woke up and my son wasn't in, in the bed. We had moved out and um, I was living with these roommates and I got up and it was very, very, very cold, very sub-sub-freezing outside and um, and I couldn't find him and he wasn't in anybody's room and I and I barely remember the night before, but I remember putting him to bed and I ran around and I said, I can't find Brad, I can't find Bradford and, and I ran outside and I thought, my God, he's gone outside and froze to death and uh, my roommates came up and they said, what happened to you last night? What happened to you? And I said, I don't know what happened to me. And she said, you were running around here screaming. You were running back to California. You were just crazy. And I said, I can't find Bradford. And, I, and down the hall, he had on these yellow jammies with the feet in it. And I never, ever want to forget that because he came walking down that, that little hall and he said, Mom. And I picked him up and I said something to effect, Mommy's going to get help or something. And I hugged him really tight. And at that moment, I had a, what the book talks about, a moment of clarity. This was not my father's fault. This was not my mother's fault. This was my fault. This is what I was doing to me and my son. And I picked up that phone book, that phone, and I called the number that I had. I had it with me, and I called Mary. And she wasn't home, but her husband was, and he was in the program. And he said, you know, he said, are you sober right now? And I said, well, I'm hungover. He said, get your over my house, and Mary will be home in a little bit. <clears throat> he said, oh, I want you over here right now. And I went over there, and he sat me down at a kitchen table, and he had a big book and a cup of coffee. And, and I felt so horrible about myself. I hated myself. And he said, Sheila, you don't ever have to feel this way again if you don't want to. And you don't ever have to drink again if you don't want to. And everything will be all right. You know, and from that day to this, he's, he's been right. Everything has been all right. It hasn't been perfect. <clears throat> In fact, it's been darn hard sometimes. I've walked through things in sobriety that I never even, never went through when I was drinking. And I'll tell you what, I took you with me and you always with me in the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to the meeting. I wasn't, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm all humble and I'm, oh, you know, oh. And he said, you need to come to our meeting tonight. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to find my own AA. That's the one Dad goes to. Now, I've lost everything, and I love what Bob D. says. He says, you know, an alcoholic loses their home, their family. They lose everything, and the first thing they get back is their opinion. <laughs> you know, and that was me. Here, I'm going to tell him. I said, I want to go to my own group, my own AA. That's Dad, y'all's group, and you go to that. And it's kind of a little too structured for me. It's a little bit too, you know, a little rigid. You know, oh, it's just, I'm going to find my own AA. And he said... You know, that's a good group, and that's really what you need, Sheila. You, he said, you really need this. And he said, I hope you'll be there. He said, really, I strongly, I strongly suggest you go. And I said, okay. You know how you do. Okay. You know. And so, you know, um, about 7.15, I've talked myself out of going to the meeting because it's probably, I probably overreacted again. You know, I probably overreacted. And, um, you know, my son was fine. Everything was fine. And, and my roommate said, are you going to that meeting? And I said, you know, I don't, th I don't have anybody watch Brad. They go, we'll watch him. Bye-bye. You know, when your drinking buddies will watch your children so you can go to an AA meeting, you might want to look at your drinking. <laughs> I had to. And what happened was, um, you know, I said, okay, and I, and I was going to set out to go to my own AA. And the thing was, I didn't know where any other groups were. I've never been in another group. I didn't, I just was going to, and Al-Anon was in the same building in the AA meeting. And it was a Saturday night meeting, and that's a speaker meeting. And they have a call-up participation for 30 minutes, and... 10-minute speaker, a 10-minute coffee break, and a main speaker. And so I kind of slithered in the back door, and I looked terrible, and um, I, I didn't look right, and, uh, you know, I just, I was just a mess. And uh, and uh, I kind of sat in the back row. I mean, that's where I, you know, that's where I sat. And I sat back there and saw my dad come in, and he looked at me, he looked across the room and saw me, and he got busy making coffee or something, you know. He, well, it probably scared him. And, and uh, it was um, December 15th, and... Um, 1984, and uh, it was Christmas time, and uh, he got called on during a uh, call-up participation, and, and he said, uh, and before that, they have that horrible thing that, that I just hated. You know, if you're in your first 30 days of sobriety, not to embarrass you, but to, so we may get to know you, will you please raise your hand? I hate that. Until I had 31 days. I, <laughs> well, I thought it was the greatest thing they've ever done. And so I wasn't going to raise my hand because it's just a little too cute for me. You know, so how beautiful, you know. And I wasn't going to raise my hand. I look over. You know how they're looking at you? They're looking at you. And I look over and they were, which is really frightening when they're really doing it. And I look over and it's the guy and his wife that 12-stepped me that morning. And, and he went like this and he went like that. And I got, he scared me. And I went, I went like that kind of, you know, you know. My dad happened to turn around when I looked like I almost held, held my hand up and saw me. He happened to turn around because he always turns around. He, he turns around to look for the newcomer because that's what he does. You know, because he's always looking for the newcomer because that's who he helped all the time. 
And so uh, he got called on a tag participation, and, uh, and he said, uh, the call up, and he said, uh, I saw my daughter back there. She was raising her hand. I, I, hope that, I hope that she gets this thing. I hope that Alcoholics Anonymous helps her. And he said, and of all the Christmas presents in the world, this one would be the best. And, uh, and on Christmas Day, I was 10 days sober, and I was just a mess. Let me tell you what, that was the worst Christmas of my life. They were all so happy I was sober, and I was just sick. I was sick. I was physically sick. I was everything sick. You know, and they're all, oh, she's sober. I'm like, oh, shut up. And, you know, and it was terrible. And then New Year's Eve came and went, and it was just, I thought, as soon as New Year's Eve is over, I'm going to get drunk. And as soon as Valentine's Day is over, I'm, gonna, I'm just leaving. I'm getting on a jet plane, you know, and... And I just, I mean, that's why I was, I was crazy and I was mad and I was angry and, and I had all this junk going on and, you know, and I went to lots of meetings. I went to meetings, 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 you know, and I, I got this sponsor. The first sponsor I got left AA right away. I got, kind of felt offended, you know, and, and, uh, I, uh, I just, uh, well, I got arrested, you know. Anybody been arrested sober? I got arrested sober. That, that really set everybody off, you know, and, uh, I don't know. I, I just moved to Oklahoma. I thought, well, heck, they probably don't even have computers there. You know, I didn't think they had computers in Oklahoma. So this policeman pulls me over, and I hand him my license, happy, joyous, and free, because I'm almost 90 days sober, you know. And he says, he said, you know, could you step out of the car? I know what that means. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm sober. <laughs> and he said, you need to step out of the car. And I said, oh, I haven't done anything. And he said, step out of the car. So I did, and he starts searching me and searching the car. And, and I have, you know, warrants from, you know, all the way back to California. I'm in, tr- I am in deep trouble, you know, and he said, oh, oh, he started telling me, I couldn't even hear him, I was out of my head. So he said, I'm taking you to jail, and he did, and, <clears throat> and my son was at Grandma and Grandpa's, you know, I had, um, was out doing something, and, and it was hours later before I got my phone call, and I called, and she said, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in jail. I'm so glad she answered the phone again, by the way, and yay, the Al-Anons, you know, and, and, um, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going to make fun of them. They take care of me. I love it. <laughs> Bring it on. And uh, find me. You want to hear me whine? And, um, and so she, I said, I said, I'm in jail. She goes, ha, 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 ha. I go, I'm really, I'm in jail, and it's this much money to get me out. And she goes, Jim. And then she goes, Sheila's in jail. And he goes, I mean, my dad had the biggest voice and the biggest, he was big, he was big barrel chest man, you know, and, and I kept saying, tell him I'm sober, I'm sober, and she goes, she, she's sober, and he goes, I don't give a good God, you know, and I said, tell him I'm sober, I'm sober, please, please send me bail money, he goes, I'll leave her there, and she's going, oh, Jim, what about the baby, oh, my God, and he's just screaming his head off, he's so mad, rightfully so, because he had to pay the bail money, and, and, um, and it, oh my gosh! And so uh, I'm screaming, I'm sober, I'm sober, a million times into this phone, and the and the jail lady was getting tired of me. She walked by and goes, "Who cares?" You know. I said, I said, it's very important to be sober when you call for bail money in my house. You know, and very important. So, you know. So she, you know, so she called and they said, okay, and, and she came to get me. My dad wouldn't do it. He probably would have twisted my head off. And, and uh, my dad and I had a very violent, volatile relationship, and I had a real big part in it. You know, I don't have a problem looking at that at all. And, you know, I could push his buttons, and I did it on a regular basis. And, I, you know, I'm j- we were just, we had a really terrible relationship. And I'll tell you what's happened. I'll tell you what happened. Because of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of the things that you have taught me to do, my sponsor would tell me every day, she said, why, and I had to go back and live with them because those roommates moved out. And I got sober in their house with my little boy. And every day I had to do two things nice to, for my dad because I didn't like him and I, I was mad at him. I was just so angry with him. And so I would, drink, I would get up in the morning and I would make his hot tea. I would make his, put his water on for, in the kettle. My dad always drank hot tea. And I'd bring in his newspaper. And I did that every day. And I did that every day, and we can only talk about news, weather, and sports. My dad loves sports. I love sports. He gave me my love of sports, and we would sit and talk about the Dodgers or, or, the, or the Cowboys. Or we, we could, we could, that was neutral, safe ground, and uh, that's what we talked about. And one morning I got up, and, uh, you know, and uh, he was sitting in, in the living room, and it was, he got up before I did, and, and he was sitting in there, and he was reading his big book, and something came over me. And, uh, and I just, I just felt something for him and and it wasn't anger anymore and it was like God was taking it away and I really believe that but it, he didn't do it by me sitting home talking about it or praying about it or doing issues and tissues and all that stuff how he did it was as I took right action toward the forgiveness God can give me the forgiveness but I have to take the action toward getting 
toward the forgiveness. And if I take the action toward wanting to forgive, then God will, God removes it. I believe God is the one that removes the resentment and that God is the one that gives me forgiveness. I don't have that kind of power. And so I did those things and you all taught me how to do those things. I didn't know those things and my sponsor would just tell me to do stuff and I was so tired. I was so tired and I was beat up and I was just tired. I, I got arrested so I didn't have a car, although I had a $275 car because I'd bought it from my dad, but Oh, it was horrible. It was such an AA car, you know, a new alcoholic car. It was just special. And uh, it didn't have heat or air or anything. We looked like my son. We'd get in and we'd look like Eskimos driving, you know, in the winter. It was, it was, but it was, I had a car. Well, I didn't have the car after that because I got my license suspended. In our group, you don't drive without a license or uh, uh, insurance, you know. Well, that's my sponsor anyway. And and so we, I didn't get to do that. And uh and so I had to get a ride, and I had to get a second job. My, my sponsor, who I got, my sponsor took me to my arraignment, and she said, you need a second job. You have a lot of bills to pay. You have a lot of fines, or you're going to jail. And so I'd get up in the morning, and I would go to I'd, um, take my son, my oldest, my, my, my baby then. He, um, I, took him, I would take him to daycare, and then I would go to my first job. And then I'd get, I'd get a ride home from my first job to the daycare to back to another sitter and then go to the next job. And then I would go to the, then I would walk from that job over to the meeting and then I'd go to the meeting and then I'd go home. And I did that day after day and I had to do it for several months and uh, maybe even longer than that. And uh, let me tell you what, I learned a lot of humility through that and um, there were days that I didn't think I could do it and I'd call my sponsor and she'd have me read things out of the big book like 86, 87, and 88 on awakening, on awakening. You know, I'd read that, and it would help me, and it would, it would calm me down. And, and she would have me do these things, and I, and I did it. And I remember when I got my license back, and I paid those fines, and I walked in, and I, and I got the, you know, I could drive my car, and I wanted to give everybody in the whole place a ride. And they were all like, no, thanks. It's freezing out. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a freeze tonight. <laughs> you, have no, you have no heat. But I, I, I wanted to give back because you all taught me. I had to call people and ask them for rides, and I couldn't call the same people each time. And I had to do things for them, like do their nails, because I was a manicurist, and I'd do their nails free because I didn't have money to pay them for gas. Or I'd clean out their closets, you know, or um, I'd clean out their car. And I had to do things. So it wasn't just me getting, getting, getting. I'm a taker. I take, take, take. And I had to learn to be a giver. And you all taught me how to give in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I will always be so grateful for that. I'm going to wrap up. I got a couple of stories, and I'm going to get down from here so we can dance or whatever is next in the star-studded event here. And, uh, you know, I, my dress is so sparkly, I'm so excited. <laughs> my sparkly dress on tonight, I look like I could be that center thing, you know, that <laughs> disco thing. Whoa. Okay, anyway, back to my... <laughs> I was... Um, um, I kept, I stayed sober and um, I, when I was, my sponsor told me that she didn't really want me dating for a while and she said, you are too sick for anyone in or out of the program. <laughs> you know, it hurt my feelings, let me tell you what. And I, I said, okay, and I, I did what she, I did what she said, you know, I just, okay, well, whatever, you know, I'll be a nun, fine, that's fine. You want me a nun, I'll be a nun, you know, you know, we are. I was not the happy-go-lucky sponsoree. And, you know, I love what you said. My sponsor didn't like me either. I thought she, she got mad at me for wearing this blouse, to, this sweater. I wore this really hot sweater, I thought. And, um, and it, it, it was just a sweater in the front. But, of course, it went down to my tailbone in the back, you know. I wore it to an AA meeting one night. I thought I was pretty cute. And um, I was young then. And, uh, and she, uh, she, she said, you know, uh, you have a nice back, Sheila. I saw it through the entire meeting. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, you know, and there are men in this room that are trying to change their way of life, and that's not a really appropriate thing to wear. And there are women who are married to this men that need to know that women, that women in this room are safe and that these men can come here and be in a safe place. They've had husbands that have left them, gone to bars and things that have gone on. They need to know that this is a safe place and people, the women here are acting like ladies. I was so humiliated and so mad at the same time my cheeks were hot, you know. And, and I thought, this is prison, and I'm mad. And I went out to coffee, and by God, I took her inventory. That's what I did. You know, the mature thing. I ended up making amends to my sponsor, and I also never wore that sweater. I never wore it again. And she said to me, you know, if you ever want to wear it, if you go out on a date or something like that and you want to wear it, and I thought, fine, I can't even date, though. You know, I was so mad at her. And, you know, I, one day I just threw it away, and I, I thought, you know, that's such an old idea. I don't, I don't have to dress like that anymore. I don't have to use those kind of tools anymore because she told me we would find different tools, that they would be, I would have a relationship and it would be based on God's ideals and not my ideals. 
And I didn't. I never heard such a thing in my life. And she got it out of the big books of Al- Alcoholics Anonymous. It's on page 70. It's wonderful. And she taught me how to be a lady, and she taught me things to do and not to do. And, and she taught me how to go on a date. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> this guy asked me out. I was about five years. You know, I dated some guys. And, you know, I love you, alcoholic men. You're wonderful. God, Lord knows I loved you, honey. But... You, you just about killed me. And so we're like gasoline in a match, and I had to surrender to it, and that's all there is to it. My dad used to say, why don't you meet a nice guy in AA? And I said, oh, God, no. And I said, Dad, I'm just, it's just, it's gasoline in a match every time. That's my relationships, you know. And, uh, and uh, I used to say, well, when I meet someone as wonderful and dedicated as you, Dad, I will. He'd go, well, I don't know if you'll find anybody. <laughs> so he got him off my back. Yeah, I go to the alcoholic ego. I know that, honey. I, I got right, he was out of there. Okay, didn't he, we didn't bring it up again. It was fabulous. And I met this guy, um, I met this guy through fr- some, uh, some friends, and he's, uh, he was a nice guy, and he, you know, he, and my sponsor, he, he picked me up on a date, and we went on a date, and he said, I'll call you, and I, okay, and we, bye-bye, and shook my hand, and we went, well, that's fine. About ten days later, he called, and we went on another date, and we did this for, God, three, four weeks or something, and, uh, my sponsor said, how's, it, how's the, that young man your day? How's that going? She, I said, well, I think we're just going to be friends. She said, really? I said, yeah, we, we go out and da 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 And I said, he hadn't even kissed me goodnight. She goes, Sheila, that's dating. I thought, my God, what a concept. I said, well, what do I know? I thought, I thought he was gay. He'd just die if he'd heard me say that. <laughs> say, Sheila, thanks a lot. But anyway, but he was just a nice man. I not, I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't, well, I wasn't, I didn't attract nice men. I wasn't a nice woman. You know, I heard this one man say one time. He said, "If you act like a pig, you'll attract a sow. If you act like a man, you'll attract a woman. If you act like a child of God, you'll attract a child of God. If you act like a prince, you'll attract a princess." And I was just amazed at that. You know, and that's why I had so many pigs because I'd act like a sow. Well, isn't that humbling? Thanks a lot. I just hate those things I hear, and they smack me right in the face in an AA meeting, you know. And so I met this guy, and we did this, and we and we uh, we went out. We went together for um, about two and a half years, and got engaged. And he called my dad and asked him if he could marry me, and he said yes. And we got married, and um, we got married six months later. I had a AA wedding, and my dad gave me away, and you know my. My aunt, the aunt, the, but she didn't buy this dress, I'll tell you that, and, and uh, she didn't pick it out either. And, you know, she came, and, and my, my stepmother, Vinoy, was there, and she was the mother of the bride, and her daughter, Tracy, is sober, and uh, she has a daughter and who I love very much, and she's been in and out of this program. She's had a rough time getting this program, but she's living in San Diego, and she's doing really well. She's doing better than I, I, I hope. If she's not, don't tell me, because I will flip out, but... You know, she's doing better. She lived with me. She came to me, and she had black eyes and was beat up on her last drunk, and she came to Oklahoma, and she came to me. And, and the girls I sponsor and they sponsored grabbed her up and loved her back to sobriety. And then she got this great job in San Diego, and she was off and running. I had her under my clutches for a while. I thought I could keep an eye on her, but no, no, no. She had to fly off. And she's living in San Diego, and, you know, I just I really love her. And she was in my wedding, and we had a really wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. And... Uh, and what happened was um, uh, I got pregnant right away with this, uh, with this uh, man, and, and I, I, we weren't planning to, to do that right away, and, and we did. And does that doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean. And so I, I called him, and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I said, yes, I am pregnant. He said, why are you sorry? We're married. And I go, oh, yeah, and call Dad. I'm so happy, you know. And um, because when I, you know, cause when I uh, was pregnant with my son Brad, my father didn't find out until I was five months. I was five months along, and somebody else wrote him a letter. A letter. That's the kind of daughter I was. I broke his heart. And so I said to him, could we not tell anybody until we tell my dad? I want him to be the very first to know. And he was. And Dave said, of course. And I said, this is a, I made my direct amends to my father, but I'm going to make some living amends. And I said, could I do that? And he said, yes. So I called him up, and I said, I want you to know I'm gonna have a, you're going to have another grandchild. And he said, oh, I'm so excited. And I said, and I also want you to, to know that you're the very, very first to know. And he said, thank you, daughter. You know, and uh, um, my dad um, was everything to me. I heard somebody describe him a few months ago as uh, Jim Shaw was a man who always had his sleeves rolled up in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and that was him. 
he loved alcoholics. He'd do anything. He'd do anything for AA, and um, and I he was my hero. He got very very sick um, about five years ago, and um, he died very very shortly. And he had cancer, and and I went out to I flew out to see him. And you know we were even. We were even. Everything was we were even. I just went out to love him. And we were sitting out on the porch, and he came out, and he said, Baby, are you all right? And I said, No, Daddy, I'm really not. I said, I'm not all right. And he said, What is it? And I said, Well, I said, I'm, I'm not ready for you to go. I can't imagine my life without you. I said, I feel like we just finally got it all together, and you got to leave. And he said, Yeah. He said, My mission's up. And he said, And I'm handing the baton to you. He said, you stay on the firing line. You help those women in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll be watching. And, you know, wow, what an order, you know. Thanks for the baton, Dad. Good Lord. (laughs) I'm like, please. Those are big shoes. Those are such big shoes. When he died, I was sitting next to him. His wife was on one side, and I was on the other. And we were holding his hands, and there were guys in the room that he sponsored. And he was so peaceful. It, was so, it really was beautiful. I was so worried he would str- it would be a horrible thing, and it really wasn't. He just, he just took his last breath. And I had just walked in the door. I had just come in, and I, was, um, I had been staying down the street. And I, it was just urgent to get to the hospital that morning. And they kept saying, somebody will call if anything goes on. I said, oh, I've got to get there. And I got there, and... Uh, and uh, and he was dying and uh, and I just went over and I I kissed his head and uh, I said uh, you were the best dad and he took two breaths and he and he went to heaven and he was he was the best dad he wasn't perfect but he's perfect for me because it was my road there were things I had to learn and lessons I had to learn and he was my perfect dad for me I hope maybe someday you all, you know, when you think about things like that, this one lady came up and said something to me one time after I talked, and I said, you know, I think if we kind of look at things like that, it, it really it really is easy to have a healing in it. And you all taught me this. No one's taught me anything I know but y'all. Okay? Um, my dad wanted me to have braces. I never got braces as a kid. He told me it was something he really felt bad about, and I said, well, Dad, don't worry. Someday I'm going to get braces. This is the year before he died. He said, really? I said, yeah, I know I'm old, but I'm going to get braces anyway. He said, okay. And I, he said, let me know and I'll help you. Well, he died, you know, like a year later. And two years after that, I got braces. And I walked outside in the dentist's office and I looked up to this guy and I said, I got my braces on, you know, talking to myself in the parking lot. And I, and I got in my car and I started thinking, you know, it's like this thing starts up. I hate that thing. And uh, I could just leave you at home, you know, we'd be all right. And uh, I started thinking, I wonder if my dad can see my braces. I wonder if my dad's in heaven. I wonder if there is heaven. It's getting darker and darker as I go, and it's getting worse and worse. So I pick up my phone, and I thought, i got to call, and I'll call, I'll call somebody I sponsor. God, they're good for 15 minutes. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I loved it. And Brandy was fabulous. She was wonderful. She was just right on. She had a lot of stuff going on. She's so happy to hear my voice. She went on and on, and I was out of myself. Two days later, we went to this, uh, it's a step house. It's like, it's called First Step. And these women, it's like, it's like a way station that they, you know, they're there and they may go on to prison. And we bring in an AA meeting. And a lot of them are there for alcohol and drug-related offenses. And they're in a lot of trouble. And, and we bring this meeting. And I'd never been, the girl, we had just started it. And we'd never been. And it was out in the woods. I mean the woods. And well, I didn't, we were lost. And we kept finding the men's facility. There's a men and a women's. And we kept thinking, surely the women's is right here. Well, it wasn't. And so they said, Sheila, we need to go back home. And I said, no. I said, I don't want to go. No, we're real late. And they said, I'll call them tomorrow and tell them I'm sorry, we're late. I said, no. I said, let's go back to the men's facility, call over to the women's facility, get directions, and then tell them we'll be there in a minute. Well, we did, and we're still, we're 30 minutes, 40 minutes late. And I said, I'm so sorry. We were just lost. And I, but they had really given us the wrong directions, we found out later. And and so, and I hate to be late. I'm like obsessed with it. And, and so, um, we only had 20 minutes. They only gave us 20 minutes left. And they said, you can do whatever you want in 20 minutes. We had four girls there and we did like a little panel, five minutes each. You know, and I said, let's just do that. And they said, okay. And everybody shared. Came to my turn and for some reason I shared. And the room when the girls were in a semicircle and there was probably 50 women. They were about five deep, 
you know, there may have even been about a hundred. And, and it was a big, huge room, and they were kind of in a semicircle, and, and I was sharing about getting my braces on that, you know, and for some reason I was sharing that, and I said, you know, you can, as long as you trust God and clean house and, and, you know, do the things you're supposed to, if you didn't get something in your childhood, you can, you know, you can take care of it when you get older. I mean, you can still have those things and do those things if you're willing to work for it. And I said, you know, uh, my dad really wanted me to have these braces, and I said, and I said, I, and I hoped he danced in heaven. And I still have my doubt there. There's that doubt. I looked straight across the room and about 10 feet in front of me, and I hadn't seen her before. I looked, and this girl is sitting there, and she's got a T-shirt on. And I go, where did you get that T-shirt? Now, I don't normally talk like that in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and ask people what their clothes are about in the middle of a meeting. So the girls that I sponsor and they sponsor were looking at me like she's lost her mind. And they're looking over at me, and I said, where did you get that? And she said, what? I said, that T-shirt. She goes, I got it out of the donation closet. I guess she thought I thought she stole it or something. And... Uh, I said, where is it? And she said, it's right over there. And I said, you just put that on tonight? And she said, yeah, I got out of the donation closet. And I said, stand up. And she did, and she turned around. And the, cl- the shirt she had on was my father's plumbing shirt. It said Jim Shaw Plumber on it. And I, and I said, honey, that's my dad's plumbing shirt. And she said, I said, not only has that not been in business for two years because he's been deceased, it, when it was, it was in Los Angeles, California, not Norman, Oklahoma. My dad had moved back to California years ago and worked there. And I couldn't talk anymore. And the rest of the girls, they finished the meeting up. And this one girl came up. She had known me for a long time and knew my dad. And she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Sheila, I thank God. Let your dad see your braces. And I thought so, too. You know, and uh, I want to thank you all for that experience. Because if you hadn't taught me to go the extra mile and do a little bit more and try to love people a little more and just go even when it's hard do the right thing go wherever you're supposed to go keep going keep going if you hadn't taught me that i would never have gone all those links to get to that meeting and i would never have had that wonderful wonderful experience and because you all have taught me how to go to the extra mile those things happen in my life and i owe everything to you thank you